Thank you, Blake, for reading that scripture and leading us in worship. Blake, I didn't tell him what songs to pick, but uh, he did a really good job. So, uh, what a great opportunity to stand in front of all of you. I love you all so much. You're like my family, and I don't feel judged when I, when I stand up here and stutter and try to, try to get the words out. So, thank you for being willing participants, being active listeners. I do appreciate that. Will you pray with me uh, before I begin? Pray with me and for me. Lord, we thank you for your great promises. You've promised us life, fullness of life, not just a dull, empty life of enslavement to sin, but you promised us freedom and joy, hope, and a bright future. Captivate us today with your beauty and your excellence. Lord, give me the strength to boldly say the things that you've laid on my heart to say. May I not be the center of attention today, but may your glory and your excellence and your eternal plan be the thing that draws all of our focus and attention. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So today we continue in 2 Peter chapter 1. So far we've learned that we have faith of equal standing with the apostles of Christ Jesus. Even though they came before us and they sat with the master and learned everything from him, because of our faith in Christ, we are equals together. We are debtors. Romans 8.12 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if we live according to the flesh, we'll die. But we have, because of all that Christ has given us, we owe him everything, and we can never repay it all. But having been given that immeasurable gift, along with his nature, we can bear fruit for righteousness. And that is our confidence and our confirmation. It's not the thing that causes us to earn our salvation or the more work that we do, the more we can become righteous before God. We are fully righteous before God because of what Christ has done, but... It gives us more and more confidence in the salvation and election that we have as we bear fruit and walk in obedience to the Spirit. But bearing fruit is not passive. We've learned so far in this first chapter that it's difficult work that we're happy to endure. He is at work in us to remind us and encourage us and persuade us and motivate us to move on. We grow in these qualities so that we won't be ineffective or fruitless busybodies. Always busy, but never really getting anywhere. So, uh, 
Now we come to our text today, 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 through 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. As much now as at any other time in the history of God's people, we need these four four verses. We need to be reminded of God's holiness, of our frailty, of our tendency to become inactive, to fall into temptation and sin. We need to be reminded of God's glorious gift of grace in the light of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of the gospel. Yes, we're believers. We know it. But we still need to hear it again and again. We know that in the Old Testament, at each point in the history of God's people, they would be rescued from destruction. God would establish a new covenant. And then they would get themselves into trouble again. Beginning to worship false gods and indulge in wickedness. They knew the law. They knew what God required of them. But they went astray. God sent them prophets to warn them of the destruction coming to them because of sin. To call them back to repentance. God gave them judges to rescue them from their enemies and demonstrate true faith in God's power and goodness. God gave them the commandments and laws written on stone. But over and over again, that cycle of being shown the truth only to forget it and relapse into sin. They rebelled and turned their back, seeking after false gods. The same thing was true in the New Testament to some degree. God revealed himself fully in Christ. He suffered and died and was raised to glory. And God gave the apostles to repeat that, to further explain the truth. But problems arose and false teachers who denied that Christ Jesus was the Son of God or taught people to just indulge in the flesh because of grace. Paul tells us in Galatians 1.6, he's amazed at how quickly they turned to a different gospel. He had to teach the Ephesian church that they must not continue in sin and idolatry. In James 1.23, he calls out the self-deception of listening to the gospel but then not putting it into practice and obeying it. It's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. Just as with God's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are false prophets teaching, deceiving many. We need the warnings of the apostles that he gave the early church. We have the prosperity gospel, We have teachers teaching people to just do whatever their carnal desires tell them to do. Teaching that there's new revelations of scripture, that there's new books of the Bible that are being added, new prophets are coming. 
universal salvation or tolerance of any kind of sin and wickedness, that that's the way to show true love. We also have the weakness of our flesh, causing us to forget that we're cleansed from our former sins. We have the world around us who's indulging in every kind of wickedness. And we have Satan who wants to come and steal, to kill and destroy, to make us forget about the message of hope that's planted in us. All of these things work together to make us ineffective and unfruitful. Even in the palms of our own hands is a constant temptation to be distracted, to fill our minds with filth. We need this, these four verses are very important. So the first part of this sermon is covers uh, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So remembering Christ's work, remembering what God has done. Peter intends always to remind his readers of what Christ has done for believers and the qualities that should be present in them. It's a continual work. We don't live our lives in one day or in a moment. We have a series of moments, one after another, after another. And that is the same way that we grow in faith, by being continually reminded, by taking another step, drawing closer, being more obedient. Peter puts emphasis on this constant reminder Three out of the four verses that I'm going through today, he uses a word similar to remind or remember or to recall these things. The reminder of what Christ has given us, his nature, which must result, which will result in us bearing fruit. That's what we ought to see if we are truly saved, if if we're secure in our election, we ought to be seeing fruit. Yes, God has given us his spirit. And the spirit reminds us of everything. Yes, we know that. We know what the truth is. We are firmly established in it. And that is enough. We really shouldn't need anything else. God has given us everything we need. But God loves us, and he shows us over and over again how much he loves us. He gives us more and more. He gives us grace after grace, gift after gift. Not only do we have this right standing before God and justification and the Holy Spirit reminding us, but we also have one another. God gave us each other, a gathering of people that are Gather each week for a common goal. He established the church so we would not be enslaved to a life of sin and misery. But that we would grow and mature in holiness and joy. God tells us the good news over and over. We don't just have one gospel account. We have four of them. Each one of them telling the same story in a slightly different way from 
a slightly different perspective. We hear the words of teachings of Jesus through the four Gospels and also explained to us in the letters from the Apostles. What Jesus has done is so beautiful and so magnificent. John's Gospel tells us that if all Jesus did and said was written about in books, the world could not hold all the books. As we were singing one of these hymns, choruses this morning, I was thinking about God did that in the Old Testament and the New Testament and it continues now, even in eternity. We're going to be singing the songs and praises of Jesus over and over and over. It's good for us to do that. It's good for us to be reminded. God directed the apostles to appoint elders in every location to continue to proclaim the truth that was delivered through them. We're not left alone in small pockets of brothers and sisters trying to figure it out together. He calls and equips some believers to study and give their attention, especially to the scriptures and to prayer for the local church. And here we are today, digging deeper. Learning again and again just how deep, how long, and how wide, and how high is the love of God. How majestic and holy He is. You probably won't hear anything today you've never heard before. But we need to keep hearing it. We know this to be true for any academic setting. You sit in front of a teacher and you get lectures and then you go home and you read books about the same subject material and then you do some workbooks and maybe you get into a group of other students and you all talk about it together and then you take a test and then a few weeks later you forget it all. How much more is that to be true of an infinite God whose majesty and glory we could never, ever fathom the depth of? What we learn in academic settings will be quickly forgotten, especially if it's not put into practice. But if put to good use, the things you learn become a permanent part of your memory and who you are, how you practice your daily life. So if you've learned something, put it into practice. Start to teach it to other people. If you're just one step ahead, teach it to somebody who's one step behind you for their benefit and for yours. It's true that we probably will forget most of the things we hear, but we're less likely to forget the things that we say. Ephesians 4.13 tells us, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We should not think that what Christ for, has done for us in his death and resurrection were insufficient. But we should know that his work is ongoing. It's continuous and transformative. In this life, we may not expect to reach the fullness of the stature of Christ, but that's our aim. That's our goal. If God in his infinite wisdom established a gathering of learners 
then we ought to come prepared to learn. Read ahead. We should never neglect this gift of grace, the gathering of saints. We don't know how many more times we'll be able to gather together. Your elders at this church are always doing their very best to set the table for a nutritious feast of God's word. So come with appetites ready, eager to be satisfied, hearing and learning each week and sharing with somebody else. And come to MC with more than just your opinion, as I've heard Bryce say before. We should be ready to teach whatever it is we've learned. So if your parents, you're teaching them to your children. If your children, you're asking questions of your parents, trying to challenge their knowledge. The oldest among us, the wisest among us, they know how short life is. They know how quickly time passes and that missed opportunities are filled with regret. We don't know if those opportunities will ever come again. We should make the most of every opportunity because the times are evil. That brings us to the the next part of this, of three parts. More than halfway through, hang in there. I think it's right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. Peter knows his days are numbered. Wouldn't that be nice to know your last days are right around the corner? Maybe it'd be terrifying but maybe it'd be nice to give you The motivation to get it right. I've only got so many days left. Peter must have often been thinking about how he was questioned. The last words that he shared with the risen Lord before he ascended into heaven. Jesus questioned him and reinstated him. He must have been thinking about that. Left a lasting impression on him. His command was, feed my sheep. So in this verse, he seems to have knowledge that the end is very near, either by direct communication of the Holy Spirit or discernment about what's happening around him. It would be wise for us to be discerning about the things that are happening around us, too, by the way. Historical records tell us that he was crucified by the emperor Nero in the year 64 A.D., Nero blamed all the Christians for a fire that broke out in Rome. As a result, Peter was one of the ones that was arrested. So, Peter was arrested for doing the things that Jesus had commanded him to do. Jesus commanded him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He was also told that he would suffer. At the end of John's gospel, when he was being reinstated and repeatedly asked, do you love me? He was given that command, feed my sheep. 
tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Jesus knows who are his. He knows that his sheep are his sheep. But he also knows they need to be cared for. They need to be fed. So as long as Peter is alive on earth, that's what he will do. Reminding them of all that Jesus has done for them. It's clear that Peter is motivated by the love of Christ to be willing to die for the sheep just as Christ was willing to die for the sheep. He gave his life's work to that. It might be helpful also to think of this letter as a kind of last words, a eulogy from Peter. When someone shares with us what may be their last words, those are pretty important words. We ought to pay attention and listen to those. He'll go on a few verses later in this chapter to explain how he was an eyewitness of Christ's glory. His entire life's work is to share the things that he was an eyewitness to. He knows this is right, to stir believers up. Every moment he has the chance. Peter says it's right as long as, this, as he is in this body to stir you up by way of reminding, reminder. This stirring up, it has the connotation of waking someone up from a deep sleep to full alertness. Wake up. Get up. Get ready. Peter knows from personal experience that drowsiness and sloth can hinder us from being fully present. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before Christ was crucified, Peter, uh, Jesus was off praying, and three times he came back, and what did he find his disciples doing? Sleeping. On the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Jesus appeared with Moses and Elijah and the cloud from heaven surrounded them and Peter came up out of a, a drowsiness and a sleep and he's trying to figure out what to do. Uh, let's build three tents, trying to come up with a plan. He knows what the weakness of the flesh can do when we become sleepy and drowsy. As much as it was Peter's life's work to proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection, this is the task of the entire church as well. In Luke 9.23, Christ Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And if you don't do that, you're not worthy to be his follower. At the end of Matthew's gospel, the risen Christ gives the command to everyone, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's also our commandment from the Lord. Nothing should stand in the way of our life's work. Whatever we have learned, we should put into practice and teach others to do the same. If we were to write a eulogy for ourselves, the message of the gospel should be our mo most important words that we should expect others to listen to. That's why we meet together regularly. That's why we share with one another all that we've learned so that we'll be able at any time to recall 
the most important things. Being stirred up out of our drowsiness and apathy, we need to be ready to do the work of the church. And this brings me up to the third and final point. Recalling the qualities of faithfulness. Verse 15 says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's aim in life was to make every effort for the sheep so that they will be able at any time to recall the eight qualities. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, affection, and love. A phrase that is repeated here a few times, first at at the beginning of the list of those qualities, it says, make every effort. Make every effort. That phrase, we can kind of easily overlook that, I think. At first reading, we may think about other activities we've experienced at the church. Somebody asks us to do something. We say, I'll try. I'll, I'll make an effort. Fully intending, maybe if only subconsciously, not to do it. I heard a radio preacher this past week as I was preparing for the sermon. I don't remember his name to give the proper reference to him, but he's, he was talking about when he was called to ministry, he was hesitant. I don't, I don't really want to be in doing church work. Uh, that's, that's where people bring their leftovers. You know, whenever you see a construction project that's done by a bunch of church people, it's subpar. It's, you know, the laymen that don't really, they're not really good at doing carpentry or painting. You know that's kind of true. You, you've done this, I've done this. It's not such a bad thing, I guess. You bring the leftover hot dogs from the party. I know, what do I do with these hot dogs? I'll, I'll bring them to MC. I mean... I'm not judging anybody or criticizing anybody. We do that. It's not that big of a deal. But that's not our best. That's not making every effort. That's, you know, I don't want these clothes anymore. What what should I do with them? I'll give them to the church. Maybe somebody can use them. But that's not what this phrase means. Making every effort. You do it first. You do it immediately. There's an urgency to it. David responded to this man, Ornan, when he was going to give some sacrifices to the Lord for a plague that was going on. Ornan was going to give him the threshing floor and some oxen to go with it. And this is what David said. He said, no, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. This becomes even more apparent as we think about Peter's departure. Here's a little little side sermon. That word departure, it's only used one other place in the New Testament. 
when it's referring uh, to someone dying, someone's end. And that's in Luke 9, 31. You know, when sleepy Peter was with Jesus and he appeared before, he appeared with Moses and Elijah, they were talking about his departure. This Greek word, exodus. Normally in, in other places in the New Testament, it's referred you know, to the exodus when the Israelites went out of Egypt. But Peter is, I think there, there's a connection here, that he's drawing a connection. Exo, meaning to come out of, and Otis, meaning road. He's thinking about the way he's dying for his sheep. He's not being killed. Jesus gave his life. He took the road on purpose. The next two verses in, in this chapter, verses 16 and 17, Peter refers to the moment when he heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And Jesus had given him that prophetic message of how he would stretch out his arms and someone will take him where he doesn't want to go. He knew that his end was coming. So later in 2 Peter, he spends some time warning the believers about false prophets that will come. That they'll come and draw people away. And there's a life and death urgency to keeping these things constantly in our memory. To be reminded of them. A dire warning against the false teachings that make us unfruitful. The Apostle Paul gave a very similar warning in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. A few verses later there, Paul speaks of the drawing near of the end of his life. He's saying in a similar way, very soon I'm not going to be with you. You've got to remember these things. You've got to hold true to the, to the gospel. So that's the great and important work that we do together as a gathering of the saints, working together to make sure that we all remain in the truth. I've personally been challenged lately to be more diligent, to make every effort, find something difficult to do and do it every single day. I've been guilty of being idle and slothful and frequently distracted, but the love of Christ is compelling me to give everything I have, to make every effort to be able to recall at any time to share the gospel wherever I go. It's our high calling as the body of Christ. We've not been called to a life of ease or prosperity or perfect health. It's true that 
God is the giver of all good things. And that one day all traces of death and suffering will be destroyed. But for now, our calling is to take up the cross. To hustle. To work hard. It's our calling that may be filled with trials, hunger, sleepless nights, physical and emotional pain, suffering, and even death. But Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, we are like sheep to be slaughtered. For your sake we are being killed every day. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I hope this message has been an encouragement for you and not, not a downer. I hope it stirred you to alertness. Christ has defeated every enemy. He is our great and good king. He's not left us as orphans, but he's adopted us as his righteous children, fellow heirs with him, and a brother. We have these great promises, and we've been granted to be partakers in the divine nature. We've been given the full counsel of God and his word, and we've been given one another to stir one another up to good works. Times are evil, filled with temptations, distress, false teachers deceiving many, but we're not alone. As long as we have each other, as long as we gather together, let's stir each other up. Let's make the most of our time. Let's be diligent to re remind one another of the faith we have, that we supplement with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness, with brotherly affection, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Let's make every effort so that any time we'll be able to recall these things. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word that we need to hear over and over again that we can never plumb the depths or fully comprehend. I thank you that we have one another to support one another, to encourage one another, to teach and admonish and exhort. I pray that all of us will receive from you that command to Feel the urgency to get up, to not be slothful, to not be slow in obeying, or to give you our leftovers. But I pray that we will give you our very best to study, to know what to say and how to answer. we know that you hold the future, that victory is guaranteed. We can trust you in 
wherever we sow seeds of your word and the gospel, it will not go without bearing fruit. We praise you and thank you for this opportunity to gather again today. In Jesus' name, amen.